to God's hand and kept right on trusting in His Word. My wants and God's desires. Matthew chapter number one. Again, we've been doing uh, already on Sunday night. I started in uh, Matthew, and we've been preaching some Christmas messages. Tonight we're going to go back to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 1. We looked at a little bit of the end of the genealogy there. We spoke about the prophecy uh, that was to come of Jesus himself. And I want to spend a little bit of time just bouncing around some of these prophecies of Jesus Christ, uh, looking at the Old Testament prophecy that's being fulfilled, and just make a few comments about each one and let the Holy Spirit work in our heart and life over this Christmas season as we look at those. Uh, so tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 1. I'm going to start reading in verse number 18. We'll read a few verses that are familiar to you. If you'd stand with me, if you found Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 18. It's kind of up down tonight, isn't it? Sorry about that. But uh, you'll get used to it. All right. So verse number 18 of chapter 1 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise... When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take that... Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. We're thankful for the truth of it. Dear Lord, we do come to a, a passage that's self-explanatory, that's giving us a narrative of uh, what is taking place as Christ is being born. But yet tonight also, as we look at it, it is a miracle that is taking place. It is, uh, it is God coming to dwell with us. And dear God, as we just take a look at how your plan unfolded uh, and how you uh, just brought it to us piece by piece and uh, as we see that those that were there at that time would be making the connection and understanding what you were doing. Dear God, pray that we would also be encouraged by that as well, by the truth that we see from it, by the encouragement and by the comfort that it comes to us as well. So tonight, dear God, as we think about uh, this little part of the Christmas story, dear God, let us enjoy, dear God, that you are doing amazing things. Dear God, let us uh, take joy in the fact that, uh, that you have done things that we can't even imagine. So help us tonight and uh, be with us, we pray. 
as we just stand. We do. We stand in wonder and in awe of the Word of God tonight. We'll praise you for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The second prophecy that I want us to look at uh, as we were going through, when we went through Matthew chapter number one, you remember, we looked there at the fact that Mary was brought out as the one who would bring forth this man, Jesus Christ, fulfilling the prophecy in Genesis chapter number three of the fact that this seed of a woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And so we talked about that and what was involved in that. Then as we read just a little bit further down, we actually find something that is really important to me and we're going to keep noticing throughout the Christmas story that this is going to happen over and over. And that's what happens in verse number 22 where the one who is giving us the story says, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. So while they are giving you the information about the birth of Jesus Christ and while they are doing certain things, and this also happens throughout the New Testament, not just to do with the birth of Jesus Christ, but all through regarding his life, you will find that the writers of these books will stop and mark out for you that this is a prophecy that is being fulfilled. And that's an important thing for them to do. We've already discussed it. Maybe it's not as important to us, but it's important for the Jewish reader because he is putting together a case of whether or not this man, Jesus Christ, is the Messiah that the Old Testament is talking about. And indeed, as they go through and the evidence piles up and piles up, they would look at the totality of it and say, yes, this man, Jesus, overwhelmingly fulfills the prophecy and does what is needed. He is who he said he is. And they would put their faith and trust. And all through the book of Acts, we see that happen and we see that take place. And you say, Mike, well, why is that important to us? Well, sometimes it's more important than we realize. And hopefully tonight, as we look back at the prophecy, we will see why that is important because we've got to look back and take a look. So as we look at this, it's pretty uh, easy for us to understand some of this. We see that Joseph is faced with a problem. Joseph has an issue. Joseph is a just man and his wife has been, it's been found that she's pregnant. And because of that, he looks at this situation and he says, I got a big problem. But because he's a just man, he doesn't want to make a public example. He doesn't want to shame or embarrass her. And so he's caught with another problem of that he would put her away privately, that this would be a, a secret matter that he would do. But in the midst of his decision-making, the angel of the Lord comes to him in a dream and gives him a reassurance that what he is doing is of God and from God and God is going to bless it. And so it's because of that assurance and because of also that what he's been given is lining up with the prophets that he is able to go ahead and take Mary as his wife and everything works there. And in the midst of that, we have this prophecy that's given and it's found over in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. And this evening I do, I want you to turn back there with me. Those of you that know me know that a lot of times I don't jump back and forth 
because I'm trying to stay focused, but these are directly related to what we're doing, and so we are going to jump back uh, to Isaiah chapter number 7. We thank the Lord for the preaching our pastor has been doing in the book of Isaiah, and I'm not going to even try uh, to do that. We're just going to look at the prophecy and a little bit of the context so that we can see what, why this might be important. And also, I think this is important too. Uh, I was listening to some, uh, some great teaching and, uh, about, the, about the Old Testament and even the New Testament. And in a culture like the Jewish culture and in a culture of centuries ago where the written word wasn't readily available, you got to remember, even when they wrote down the Gospels, they were writing them down. And anything that had to be copied had to be copied. So during that time, oral tradition or the telling of stories and the retelling of those stories was still the major way that information was passed down from generation to generation. That was still one of the big things. That was why it was so important. And we don't do this. It's becoming something that's lost to us. But for a young Jewish boy who was going to go and sit for his bar mitzvah, then there would be large portions of the Old Testament that he would memorize and quote when he would say that bar mitzvah. It was a part of his growing up and a part of who he was. And it goes back into my mind that there had to be so many times that there would be, because we've been joking about it, if, whether you know this or not, I'm kind of chasing a rabbit, but you're going to like this rabbit. You're going to want to come to Christmas Cantata because Billy Brown is acting in the Christmas Cantata. Are you ready for that? Billy Brown is acting in the Christmas Cantata. And you know what? That dude has learned his lines before any of us. And you know what? When I say something that sounds like his lines when I'm talking to him all the time, then he'll repeat his line back to me, which has nothing to do with the conversation, but he just goes off on a tangent. Why? Because something that he has memorized is being brought to mind as soon as that word, as soon as that phrase, and you know that, those of us that love to watch movies over and over again, and somebody says uh, three words, and we quote five or six movie lines, and everybody's like, you're crazy, but why? It's triggering that. Can you imagine in the same form, for these young men who have heard the scriptures and not only heard it, but have been memorizing it. And then boom, somebody says something like, a virgin shall conceive. And boom, their mind goes back to Isaiah chapter number seven. And who knows how much of that they might be able to quote because they memorized it as a small child and God is bringing up. And that's why I want to go back to these passages of scripture and I want to see what's around them and see, God, what were you doing in their heart when you brought scripture to their, to their mind? Because God's not doing anything by accident. Amen. He is revealing prophecies. He is revealing them in his son, but he's also encouraging his people in the fact that he is doing something mighty. And Joseph, his mind is put to ease by what the, by what the angel says to him. And those few short words of a virgin shall bring forth a child could have spurred in his mind chapters of the Old Testament, chapters from Isaiah, where he said, God, look at what you've done. So we're going to go back to Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14. I'm not going to be long at all tonight, I promise. So let's look at that. We understand it already. He says in Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, the Lord himself 
shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. We understand from what we read in Matthew chapter 1 that they go a little bit further and give us the translation of that name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And isn't that wonderful and isn't that amazing? But what I want us to do just for a couple of seconds tonight is take a look at the context of Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter number 7. Look at what Isaiah is doing as he is building this up. Now, one of the things that's absolutely wonderful about when we go back and we read the prophets is you have already know that I talk about this all the time, that these, that these books of the Bible, they can do more than, more than one thing at a time. They're layered in such a way to where oftentimes God is revealing to us a very big picture, but there's also lots of wonderful hidden things in there and beautiful things for us to dig out. But oftentimes the big picture is very clear. And even though Isaiah, without a doubt, is one of the deepest and one of the most uh, uh, cryptic, let's just be honest, uh, in a lot of its prophecies and the things that it's doing, it's also very basic in the fact that it's dealing with a lot of the same things that the other prophets are dealing with. And that's the fact that Israel, that Judah, that these people have sinned against God. And because of that sin, judgment is going to come. And because of that, it's going to take place that this judgment will come in the form of other countries that will invade them and overthrow them. But he also, and it's so beautiful in the prophets, he is always speaking to them and saying, but listen, there is always hope because there is always a remnant with God's people. There's always a remnant with God's people. Redemption will come and God will do a mighty thing. He will do a mighty thing now and he's going to do a mighty thing later. And that's what's so amazing about a book like Isaiah because he can describe something that's going to happen now, but it's also something that's going to happen later. And it's absolutely amazing. And he's doing a little bit of that right now. And so Isaiah is really jumping into the beginning chapters and the beginning of their, of their uh, uh, problems that they have with God. And you know that from Isaiah chapter number 6 because we're all familiar with Isaiah chapter number 6. That's where, you, that's where Isaiah has the vision. You remember how famous is, is verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Might be one of the most, uh, 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 most popular or most quoted uh, verses in all of Isaiah. And you remember that Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God and what happens to him? He realizes that he's unclean and he's unworthy and he should not stand before God. And this is the state of all of Judah. This is the state of all of them that are, that are in need of destruction, but they just don't realize it because God's, God's image has, been, has just been blocked and they don't understand. And as he goes through this and he, and he talks about these things and he talks about the judgment that should come and then he starts to talk about what's going to take place and we really just don't have time we see some very unusual things. And I want you to turn your attention to verse number 13 
of chapter number six, because this is an important one that we're going to come to later. Chapter six, verse number 13. But yet in it all shall be a tenth and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. Now notice this, when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. That word substance is a really interesting word that we find several different meanings for. It has the idea of a memorial or something to be memorized, especially in like a pillar. And it can also speak to the stump or the main part of a tree that would be there as all that would be left when a tree would be done. And unfortunately, as he starts going through this, and if you start to look at kind of the symbolism that he's bringing out, he's pointing to the fact that Israel, when judgment is done, there's going to be nothing left but the stump that's burning a stump that's just there. But he said, yet inside of that stump, there's a holy seed because the remnant is never forgotten and God is still working. He's still doing an amazing work. Now, I want us to look at, and like I said, we could go through here and I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm telling the context is absolutely beautiful. We'll look at it a little bit more, but it's in this context of the fact that destruction is coming. It's in this context that the fact that there's going to be multiple levels of the destruction that he is starting. Remember, just like when he did in the book of Genesis, that he starts to give them an idea and a picture of what this Messiah will look like. Remember, we already said, how vague is it in Genesis, the seed of the woman? That could be anybody, right? could be anybody. Anyone that was born to Eve after that could have been the one that crushed his head but according to that prophecy. But we know that it starts to get more specific. And in chapter 7, verse number 14, it gets very specific, doesn't it? She's gonna, it's going to be born of a virgin. As a matter of fact, if we were to go back through, I don't think this has happened as of yet. And so here we have this amazing thing that's going to take place that this, this Jesus, the seed of a woman who's going to bruise a head, she's gonna, he's going to be born of a virgin. Now, I real, I, like I said, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, but we're going to go three things real quick that we want to look at this. We want to look at verse number 14, very specifically, uh, a little bit of 15, 16, and get it back, and we'll close it out. Just three points real quick. Number one, when I look at verse number 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive. A miracle, this is point number one, as we look back at this second prophecy, what do we see about it is number one, a miracle will occur. When God is working in something, it's usually miraculous. There's a couple of reasons why. Number one, we already understand, don't we? We already get this from ourselves. God wants everybody to know that God is the one who is doing it. God is in the business of, he, he's not trying to share his glory. He's not trying to uh, do any of that. He wants you to know that he is the one who is moving. And so when we come here and see what's going to take place in, with this virgin who's going to give a child, everybody involved in it knew that something miraculous was taking place. Now here's the thing. To the outside world, they look like a normal family probably. Think about it, five, 10, 
15 years after Jesus was born, people probably didn't even think about the fact that Mary had gotten, in their mind, pregnant before they were married, right? It left their mind. They're just a normal family, right? But Mary knew what happened. Joseph knew what happened. They knew that a miracle had taken place. And God works with these miraculous ways. He makes sure that there's no way that we are not misunderstanding what he's doing. It's him at work. I think that's wonderful. Have you ever had a time in your life where you knew it was God that was at work? Maybe you couldn't convince anybody else, but you didn't have to because for you, you knew God was at work. Amen? I remember... And I've even shared this story several different times, but I'll give you the brief part of it. But I remember when we were adopted junior, we're down in Honduras and all this stuff is going on. And we go from Sam Hodges to meet a missionary I've never met before. And we meet Arvel Smith for the first time. And here's Arvel standing in front of me. And Arvel's like, I got a room for you. I got a car for you. I got everything you need. And I'm like, Arvel, I can't believe you'd do all this for me. And you know what he said? He said, Talbert Moore was the first pastor to take me on as a missionary. I'd do anything for his grandson. And right at that moment, if I didn't think God was in it before, I thought God was in it was right then. Amen? And my, you might not think it was that impressive. I've told that story before and people are like, oh, you know, whatever. But I think it's impressive. And it was unmistakable to me that God was working. Hey, can I give you another one? I'm going to embarrass Junior tonight. So he started at Bethany Christian School this year. As we got everything going, got him all signed up for his classes, we put him in the class. I went and taught devotion, teacher devotion for all the teachers. Afterwards, a lady says, can I talk to you? I said, sure. She says, my name's Mrs. Brenneman, right? Mrs. Brenneman. And she said, Mike, I just want you to know that I used to teach at Tri-State Christian School with your sister. I said, oh, yeah. She's like, yep, I love your sister, Becca Dixon. I said, actually, it's Becca Moore, but, you know. And she said, I, I loved your sister. And she said, I'm going to be Junior's main teacher. And I just wanted you to know that for three years, every day before class, me and Rebecca would get alone in her classroom and pray for Junior. And I feel like God has put him in this class for a very specific reason. Man, I was like about to tear up right there. I didn't even know the lady. I felt so embarrassed. But it's unmistakable when God is moving, isn't it? He moves in miraculous ways. He does miracles. And maybe nobody else is seeing it. But for you, it's amazing. And for Mary and Joseph, there was no doubt what God was doing. It was a miracle. It's a miracle what God was doing. Number two, real quick. I love this one. I really do. Look at verse number 15 with me. When we read these, we don't read these very often. But look, therefore the Lord, I'm, I'm finishing verse number 14, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Verse number 15, butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest, shall be forsaken of both her kings. There's a lot going on in there, but really what I just want you to look at is verse number 15. Butter and honey shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Our pastor has already been telling us how poetic the book of Isaiah is, and it really is. And butter and honey is just a, it's a poetic way of saying he's going to live a simple life. This one Emmanuel that's going to come, who's God with us, 
He's just going to live a simple life. There won't be any grand fair. There won't be any great things that will be necessarily being done. As a matter of fact, we know and we see from our scriptures, and sometimes we even try to peer into what was Jesus like as a boy and what was Jesus like as a teenager, but we have nothing in the scripture about it. Why? Because he, he lived a simple life in Nazareth. He grew up in the home of a carpenter, and all the way until he was 30. Uh, 30 years old we have so very little about his life but he lived a simple life but what I love about that and what I think is so important is he lived a simple life but he was daily and I have no doubt in my mind about this because the Bible we do know he was without sin amen and every one of those 30 years before he came onto the scene he was without sin that he was faithful in everything that he was doing and it did not bother him to live a simple life and to be faithful with a little. Can you think about that for just a moment? The son of the living God, the creator of the universe, took it serious enough that he would be faithful at home with whatever his parents put him to do. That gives a whole new meaning to whoever's faithful with little will be faithful with much. Amen? And sometimes we abhor, don't we? We abhor the mundane and the routine of life and the simpleness of it and all of those things. But I really believe that the scriptures is showing us that there is a beauty in that that brings consistency, that brings need, that the family, they need that. They need that solid rock in their life that if it doesn't matter what else is going on, that guess what? I know the light is on back at the house, right? If everything else messes up, there's somebody back home that's been faithful that I can go back to. Why? Because day after day, they get up, and this is the best illustration that's coming to my mind, but they milk the cows because dairy farmers are about as consistent as it gets, right? Morning and night, they do it no matter what. And boy, we need some people that learn that kind of faithful consistency in the simple things of life. They do make the difference in the big things. You see, because we can't be faithful in the big if we're not faithful in the little. It's, a, it's right out of the Bible, isn't it? And even Christ, even Christ, when given the task of going to the cross, the Father knew he could trust him. And isn't it funny? Because he was faithful in little. He could have trusted him anyway. He was the ruler of the world, but he still set the right example, didn't he? Still, I love that, simple. Out of a simple life he comes to be the savior of the world. Nobody ever expected it, did they? Does any good thing come out of Nazareth? Oh, they all looked on it. Number three, real quick. Out of a simple life, that was number two, comes a savior. Number three is what is given to us as it's revealed. God is with us, Emmanuel. I think it's absolutely beautiful that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he is reminding us that God is always with us. He's with us. He's with you. He's there when you need him. I've got five R's that I'm going to give you real quick as I close this thing out and as we think about God being with us as he comes. Number one, ruin. Just like in the book of Isaiah, they found everything was ruined. When we come to the New Testament and we see during the time of Jesus Christ, 
that we see that the nation of Israel was in ruin. They were invaded by a foreign enemy. They had no which way to go. There was ruin, but God was with them. They might not have known him. They might not have been able to see him, but he was with them. Not only do I see ruin, but I also see that he is looking for repentance. He is looking for repentance, those that will turn from their ways. I see that in repentance, there is always, this is beautiful, always a remnant that will turn back to God. There are those that will be true and faithful to him. And in that remnant, we see revival. We see revival. We see that their spirits are renewed and they have that. And then we see from that comes restoration. We are brought back to a right relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ. This is what he is doing. God is with us so that we can be with every head bowed, every eye closed this evening. Derek, uh, we're just going to take a moment. We don't even need any piano. We've been doing this the last couple of weeks, and I think the Lord would have us to do it again. We're just going to take a few moments and let the word of God sink into our heart. Let that do its work. Be crying. 